Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Good morning, Red Sea listeners. Welcome to Red Sea Roundup. Today is November the 25th, and I want to just put it out there right away that you only have 30 praying days left before Christmas. We tend to get a lot of countdowns about shopping days, but we have 30 days left to pray before Christmas gets here. So, Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host, Judy Como. Always excited to drive into College Station from my home in the Brazos Bottom. Thaddeus Romanski. Good morning. Good morning, Judy. How the heck are you? I am doing great, and I am really excited about the guest we're going to have on in the second part of the show. Not only for his knowledge, but just for the uh, banter that we we had with him. Lots you of energy. I want to tell everyone his my guest is Carlo Broussard, and mm. we're going to discuss his book Purgatory is for Real: Good News about the Afterlife for Those Who Aren't Perfect Yet. Yes. Good news. Couldn't we all use some good news, Thaddeus? We could, and we're also. It sounds like we're going to get a little maybe. A little bit of his uh, Cajun roots in yeah, there. Yeah, it was really great to talk to him. A little uh, bit of your Louisiana experience me, that you have. Had a little, I can I can pick up that Cajun accent yes, you as can. I drive across the Sabine River going back to Give us to a Louisiana. sample of that. You give well, us- they talk and they say this and that and they say how y'all are and all this kind of stuff. And I always say they because it's not really me. I'm That's a right. poser. That's right. But my husband, Ooh, Keith Como. Isn't he ever? Yes, he is. <laughs> All of those things. So it was really great to talk to him, and he is a high-energy, passionate Mm -hmm. uh, apologist. Hear him often. I think he's going to be on Catholic Answers Live this evening. Oh, really? If what I heard yesterday was actually live, because (laughs) you never know if a show is actually Catholic Answers Live or not. So uh, welcome, right. everyone. Especially in this time of the holidays, you might you might get some, some encores. Understandably so. We yeah. thought about even doing that today, but I'm excited but to be didn't. here. we did Instead, we're here yes. live. L-I-V-E. Mm-hmm. Very good. I want to welcome all of our listeners. If you're listening here in the Bryant College Station area on KEDC 88.5, KYAR 90. 8.3 in Central Texas, and over there in the Holy Land, Palestine, KINF 107.9 Hallelujah. FM. This, as we said, this is a live show. We would adore a caller to call in. Later on, we'll be talking about purgatory, but right now, we're just a talking and we'll probably be talking about, I mean, not just per, probably everything concerning the four last things, the afterlife. You Lots know, of things. What, the church teaches. what I really appreciate about this book is that um, it puts the joyful spin uh, that is <clears throat> seldom taught or understood about the gift of purgatory 
and um, all of that. So that's going to be coming up today. We celebrate the feast day <clears throat> of St. Catherine of Alexander, virgin and martyr. Mm-hmm. Carried along my little holy calendar. Mm-hmm. Love my holy calendar. Tells us so much um, if you don't know that I'm referring to the calendar that almost every church hands out at Christmas. Yes. Uh, such a teaching instrument. But uh, <clears throat> St. Catherine of Alexander. One... <laughs> Got one right here. Got one right here. <laughs> and it's uh, the number of the day is in red because she's a martyr. So if you would go to Mass today, the vestments will be red. Yep. And uh, our beautiful Catholic faith teaches us with all of our senses, sights and sounds and bells and smells. St. Catherine is one of the most popular early Christian martyrs, and she's referred to as one of the 14th, 14 holy helpers, which is a group of Roman Catholic saints that are venerated for their powerful intercessory qualities. You're shaking your head. I see that you're reading reading along in your little saint book. Mm-hmm. You know, I really am so thankful that we try to focus on a saint on all the Red Sea Roundups. Uh, I heard some more things on the radio and driving in about St. Catherine, and it just really helps us focus on all the saints in heaven. And the beautiful month yeah. of November it keeps begins the church with, triumphant. Uh, close by. It helps us remember that it's not just what's happening here on earth, that we're in this great, you know, chain of being, if you will, with uh, souls suffering in purgatory and also the souls glorified in heaven. And the universal church, which collides at every mass. Yeah. The universal church that spans not just space, but but time. Yeah. 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 So she's uh, the patron saint of philosophers and scholars, and she is believed to help protect us against a sudden death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, one interesting thing that I read, it's emphasized legend has it. So that's some of our little T tradition, capital T tradition. But um, the legend is that she was one of the voices that St. Joan of Arc heard encouraging her. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we asked St. Catherine of Alexandria to pray for us. Yeah, and I wanted to just add something that when she was um, facing persecution from the Roman authorities, um, they tried to execute her on a (laughs) spiked wheel. I know. And it fell apart. When but she... when she ascended the gallows, the wheel was destroyed by lightning and the executioner was killed instantly. So that's one of the reasons why she's a patron saint against sudden, <laughs> sudden death. death. So <laughs> the church has a little bit of a sense of humor. Right. So rather well. than executing her that way, they simply beheaded her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, man, those uh, those Romans, they... They came up with some really interesting, uh, you know, creative Not to be ways. Outdone. They were, they just were always looking for new ways to try to torture the the faith out of the early Christians, and our brothers and sisters in faith didn't yield. Praise they God, kept the faith. Praise God. So handed we it asked on for... to us. That's why we've got to hand it on. That's why we have Red Sea Catholic Radio to hand it on, and you know, this just handed me <laughs> not. Just, but a little while ago. Um, 
We we asked for um, testimonies at the recent benefit dinner, and which was so much fun. <sighs> we was. had really great time. Shout out to everyone who was able to be there via their presence mm-hmm. or on the Facebook Live event. Uh, heard a lot of great things about that, and it was, uh, you know, some of the benefits of. I don't want to say benefit of the uh, times that we were living in, but uh, the Lord provides a way with technology and communication mm-hmm. to continue to reach out to people in many different ways. So, yeah, there were some. So, what you're saying is there were some added benefits to to the, the benefit. benefit. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Very good, Shudi. We couldn't have planned that if we wanted no. to plan it. But we asked for some testimonies from listener testimonies, and I I got this. Great testimony here from a listener that I want to to pass along. And uh, this person wrote that this week, the week of the benefit dinner, at a time of temptation, I heard the guest speaker on Red Sea Roundup say, quote, every moment has the possibility of eternal significance. This was perfect to hear for the temptation that this person was was facing at that moment and it helped them uh, turn turn the page and, and go on the right path. So Red Sea Roundup, local show, making an impact. And we're able to make an impact like that because of you loyal, generous, loving listeners who support this radio station with your prayers, with your financial donations, with your blood, sweat, and tears when you volunteer. So just thank you again so much, and and that's really meaningful to get a testimony about Red Sea Roundup that mm-hmm. you know Judy and I are a part of putting on each week. Really blessed, and as we focus on tomorrow being Thanksgiving, we want to uh, let all of our listeners know that we are so thankful. We couldn't be here without you. Uh, we have many things to be thankful for, and that is one of them. Um, One thing that I'd like to mention here locally, I'm sure, well, I hate to make generalizations, but I will. I'm sure all over uh, here locally, St. Anthony's always has an Advent angel tree Mm -hmm. that, uh, and many other parishes utilize. And this is just a time of reaching out and helping others. And uh, because of... The times we were involved in, we've had to make changes to that Advent angel tree. And uh, so here at uh, the information that I the contact information that I have is for my home parish, St. Anthony's. But it is a citywide because St. Vincent de Paul Society, BCS, serves the entire Brazos Valley. And I would assume that there are things like this in your parish. So if you're hearing this... um, we may have to work a little bit harder than walking down to the tree and picking off the angel, as my girls both love to do. And it always kind of comically makes me remember that, oh, the presents are due. Where did y'all put those angels? I gave them to you. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. And all of this family turmoil that goes on. And why in the world? I suppose an angel tapped me on the shoulder, and I went and found the suit coat that Keith was wearing that day, and the angels were in his breast pocket. So the combos came through at the end. But um, 
Due to the pandemic, we are not able to have gift tags or trees at the church. So we're going to have to try a little bit harder to serve this wonderful ministry. Um, you can go to bit.ly backslash Anthony Gifts 2020. This well, information, give that again. Yes. That's, a, that's a complicated... I know. I could barely read it, much less remember it. bit.ly backslash St. Anthony Gifts 2020. Our bulletin had a QR code that you can just click on. And so, again... This is about half the information you need to actually follow through, but I would assume the St. Vincent de Paul website will have this information. You can call your church office when they're not on Thanksgiving <laughs> break <laughs> over the next couple of days, but right. uh, the St. Anthony's Bulletin has it, and I know that that will be on our website, and the collection dates are there. Uh, the drop-offs are at St. Joseph's here in Bryan, so I feel confident that their bulletin and or church office would have this information to help us reach out during this time as we approach Christmas. Makes sense, Thaddeus? Makes complete and total sense, Judy. Cool. Really enjoyed y'all's show uh, yesterday with uh, Stephanie and Trey, although... You tell me now it wasn't live, but it was they recorded it was of a encore. day before Thanksgiving before. So the an encore from 2017. Oh wow! As a matter of fact, yeah, I, I wasn't in the truck at that time, so I just heard the snippet of that. So um, it's just a great time of the year, focusing on Thanksgiving, but knowing that Advent begins this Sunday. Yeah, and if you're if you're um since you're mentioning that you really love that episode of Mystery of Parenthood and it was an encore, if people want to go back and listen to that, they can listen to it on Saturday at 8 a.m. This Saturday it'll be replayed. Mm -hmm. But they can always go, they can use the uh, Red Sea Radio app and go look up the Podbean episodes. And I think you can even search in there and just, just search Advent. And that is one of the two episodes that will pop up with um, Advent in the title and you'll be able to listen to it. It's from 2017. Yes, it's a great, great thing, and your kids were so cute to call in and <laughs> talk about some family ways that y'all incorporate Advent into you. And so, and if uh, you don't go to the website and research that, you can just text Thaddeus, and he'll look it up and send it to you as a link, as he had to do for me. <laughs> yes, I, I will do that. I will do that. Good deal. So we... uh want to mention again, y'all stick with us. We're going to take a break. Carlo Broussard is going to be here after a few station identification going on. We're going to be talking about all things purgatory. Stick with us. Welcome back to Red Sea Roundup. If you're just joining us, good for you. Good timing. I'm your host, Judy Como. 
We are live today, and my guest is Carlo Broussard, and we're going to discuss his book, Purgatory is for Real, emphasis on good news about the afterlife for those who aren't perfect yet. If the name Carlo Broussard is not familiar, then you're not listening to Red Sea Catholic Radio often enough, because this guy is... A super trooper on many, many times. He's a native of Crowley, Louisiana. He left a promising musical career to devote himself full time to work of, to the work of Catholic apologetics. He's on Catholic Answers Live. I think he's going to be on this afternoon, if what I heard on the radio was correct. He's one of the most dynamic and gifted Catholic speakers on the circuit today communicating with precision of thought, a genuine love for God, and enthusiasm that inspires us all. Welcome to the show, Carlo. Hey, Judy. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm just so excited. I got a little fangirl stuff going on there. Uh, Our good buddy Taylor Schroll has had you on his show. We've had uh, always oh, you had someone before me, kind of a competition going on, but that guy's a rock star also. So uh, welcome. Thank you for being here. And today we're going to talk about anything you really want to talk about, but we're kind of prepared to (laughs) talk about your book on purgatory. Um, Yeah. So kick it off with what put on your heart to inspire you to write this book and... Tell us a little bit about how that all came together. Yeah, sure. So first of all, uh, I guess, frankly, the bottom line is that uh, purgatory is the number one topic that's asked about here at Catholic Answers. Uh, For sure, it's the number one topic researched on our website, catholic.com. So given that data, given that fact that purgatory is something that weighs heavy on the hearts and minds of all Christians, both Catholic and non-Catholic, and we didn't have a book on it, well, by golly, we needed to have a book. <laughs> yeah. So I wrote one, well, uh, uh, thanks to the suggestion of the team here at Catholic Answers. Awesome. I, I know uh, I personally have, a, <clears throat> I don't know, about a 10-year upped my game on devotion to the Holy Souls, and um, I have several friends that share in that. We kind of consider ourselves soldiers for the souls, and we... Beautiful. We have a couple of uh, days of reflection. We have a, a book called My Life in Prayer that has a 30-day novena, nine-day novena for the Holy Soul. So it is a huge wow. part of my prayer life. But yeah, uh, since you said this is a subject that's researched so much, and it's, uh, I want to say ours, purgatory belongs to us Catholics. But I would say that it's... Um, it's not, re- we're not reminded of it near enough in our own right. church to where we are very better versed to be able to have that discussion. I mean, sure, we need right. to talk to our Protestant brothers and sisters, but if we don't know it, and how can we right. have a better conversation? That is true, Judy. It is present in the Mass. Yes. Uh, every Mass that is celebrated, you have a part of the Mass where there are prayers for the dead. So it is present there, but I agree with you that we don't hear it often spoken about from the pulpit, from our pastors. And even within catechetical settings, very seldom do you come across uh, the doctrine of purgatory. 
Uh, this is an infallible teaching of the Church, so this is a part of our Catholic faith, so it's important that we articulate it and that we defend it. So what I do in my book is, as the title suggests, I try to show, uh, put forward evidence that purgatory is for real, that it is indeed a reality, uh, an accurate description of the afterlife. So in the book, what I do is I have a section where I show that it's not just a Catholic thing, and you sort of hinted at that recently there in your comments. I show that there's a general idea of a post-mortem state of temporary purification that involves suffering that you find cross religious traditions outside of the boundaries of Christianity. So looking at Hinduism, Buddhism, Zoroastrianism, ancient religions, as well as Judaism, right about a century before the time of Christ and at the time of Christ, there was a part of Jewish belief that sins could be remitted in the afterlife and that the faithful of God's people on earth could affect that remission of sins for those deported souls by praying for them and offering sacrifices for them. So we see this as a part of non-Christian religious traditions, which at least gives one reasonable grounds or reasonable basis to think that, hey, it's not that eccentric of an idea, according to reason, to think about that this is the way the afterlife really works, right? And then I also show, Judy, that purgatory is not just a Catholic thing, even within the boundaries of Christianity. So, for example, our our Orthodox brothers and sisters, they believe in a version of purgatory. They not, they, some, some Orthodox Christians deny some aspects of the full-blown doctrine of purgatory in the mm-hmm. Catholic Church. But nevertheless, the general idea, the general given, is that there's a connection between the faithful deported and the faithful on earth. Our prayers can affect them, and we can offer prayers for them. Some Orthodox Christians actually do believe that deported souls undergo a purification, although a lot of them deny that aspect, nevertheless affirming that there's a connection. And even within Protestant Christianity, Judy, many Protestants actually affirm various aspects of the doctrine of purgatory. There's a a, Protestant, a famous Protestant scholar by the name of Jerry Walls. He wrote an entire book on it, Purgatory, the Logic of Transformation. C.S. Lewis himself affirmed mm-hmm. purgatory. So purgatory is not just a Catholic thing. It does go outside the visible boundaries of the Catholic Church. And so that should give a Christian who denies purgatory reason to pause and reconsider his denial of purgatory and say, hey, if all of these Christians are looking to the same sources of revelation, and they're coming up with this purgatory thing, well, there is, is there something there that I'm missing? And of course, the answer is yes. And so what I do in my book is I have several chapters where I look at the biblical evidence for purgatory in the Old Testament, and Jesus' teaching, and Paul's teaching, as well as looking at evidence from the early Christian testimony and showing that belief in purgatory and the reality of purgatory, although they didn't call it by that name then, was a part of the historic Christian faith. And so that's sort of an outline of the book. And of course, I go through a survey of the of the magisterial teaching on purgatory, showing that this is indeed an essential teaching of the Catholic faith and is indeed infallible. Well, that is a... <laughs> You're very good at this, uh, Carlo. You ought to be uh, go on Catholic radio and talk about some things because <laughs> that was so concise. <laughs> um, 
Appreciate that. Yes, um, I, I think we've joked before to say, oh, they might not believe in it, but boy, are they going to be surprised when they get there. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, indeed. They, all, all souls who die in friendship with Christ, who have grace dwelling in their souls upon death, they're indeed and, and not having the holiness necessary to immediately enter into the beatific vision, mm -hmm. they will experience this final purification. Whether that individual is a Catholic or a non-Catholic, that's a common question that you know gets asked. What about a non-Catholic? Will they have to go to purgatory? Any soul, mm -hmm. anybody who dies in friendship with Christ, who has sanctifying grace in the soul, although has some impediments to immediate entrance into the beatific vision, like some remnants of sin, that soul is going to have to get finally purified. And so, of course, this gets to the question, is it possible for somebody who's not a Catholic to die in friendship with Christ? And, of course, the answer is yes, course, possible. Yes. And that's, a, that's another issue. Uh, but the point being is, you're right. Someone who doesn't believe in purgatory in this life, if they die in friendship with Christ, they may very well have to experience it, and they're going to come to an awakening of that truth. Mm -hmm. So if um, someone was listening in uh, right now, Let's kind of talk about some of those basic teachings, um, much yeah. like, you know, you mentioned at Mass, there are several times throughout the Mass in the uh, Eucharistic prayer where we pray for the dead, but I right. think a lot of times we hear that and it kind of, uh, it's lost because we don't focus and remember that. So, you know, sure. what is purgatory? Why would we need purgatory? Yeah. Um, some of those aspects, Good. just in case this is, uh, we, we need a little refresher. Amen to that. Well, for your listeners, they can check out paragraphs 1030 to 1031 in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and they'll get a great brief synopsis of how the Church defines and understands purgatory. And basically, Judy, it's a final purification for those who die in friendship with Christ, but yet have not achieved the holiness necessary to immediately enter into the beatific vision. And this is based upon the fact, as the Bible reveals to us, Judy, in Revelation 21-27, that no defilement can enter into heaven. God is so pure, God is so holy, there cannot be the slightest guilt of sin or remnant of sin in heaven because of God's holiness. So any soul that dies in friendship with Christ, that has charity dwelling within it, they're going to be assured of their eternal destiny of heaven. Heaven is theirs. But if they have the slightest defilement on the soul due to sin, that defilement has to get taken care of. That impediment to immediately entering into the beatific vision has to be removed. It's going to have to be purified. And so that's what purgatory is, this final post-mortem purification of a soul, of a saved soul, right? That's assured of salvation, but yet has not achieved that perfect holiness necessary to enter into heaven. And so that's what purgatory is. It entails this final purification. Now, as far as the, uh, the evidence for it, well, as I point out in my book, Judy, we could turn, for example, to 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. This is a passage in Paul's writings, right? So here's mm -hmm. Paul articulating the reality of purgatory. Here's what he says, basically. I'll summarize it for you. 
He's describing how a Christian's works are going to be tested on the day, tested by fire, I might add. He uses the imagery of fire. So a Christian's works are going to be tested by fire on the day, which is a reference to the day of judgment. And that can apply both to the particular and to the final judgment at the end of time. And Paul says, if that Christian has any bad works represented by, oh yeah, by the way, judgment comes after death. So he's talking about a postmortem state here. In Hebrews 9, 27, it's appointed for every man to die once and then to death. Mm-hmm. Now, Paul says, if the Christian has any bad works represented by wood, hay, and straw, those bad works are going to be burned up in the fire. Okay? However, Paul says, and, 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 and the Christian is going to suffer loss on account of those bad works, Paul says. Although, Paul says, the, Christ, the individual will be saved only as through fire. This postmortem purification can't be heaven, Judy, because the Christian, uh, the Christian has sin, bad works that are being purged, and the Christian is suffering. It can't be hell because the Christian is saved, Paul says. So what is it? It's purgatory. Purgatory. It's this postmortem final purification of someone who's saved. Yeah. I um, have taken some notes. I don't want to jump too far ahead or anything like that. But as you were uh, elaborating on 1 Corinthians, I had uh, written down from the Old Testament, from Zechariah 13, where, and I've heard this, actually, there's some... You know, I, I tend to know the Bible through a particular praise and worship song that I learned first, but uh, a song, Refiner's Fire. But it talks, the uh, actual verse says, I will bring the one third through fire and I will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. And I was like, right. oh, my goodness. How many times have I read that and not really thought about it applying to uh, purgatory? Yes, this is. Uh, this wouldn't be sort of a proof text for the reality of purgatory, but it nevertheless does have connection to purgatory, Judy. Right, right. Because what it what it does reveal to us is how fire is used as an image to connote or convey the theme of purification, how God will purify His people. Mm-hmm. Now, Paul in First Corinthians three eleven through fifteen. In, in that same Jewish vein or tradition, Paul uses the image of fire with reference to the Christian being tested on the Day of Judgment. And so in light of that Old Testament background of Zechariah 13 and fire being used to connote purification, we can apply that to what Paul is describing and saying, hey, Paul's describing how the Christian is going to be purified and tested as gold is tested, and refined as silver is refined. And so Zechariah provides for us a key to interpret the fire imagery in order to conclude Paul's describing a state of purification here. And because it's the day of judgment, which comes after death, it's a post-mortem purification of someone who is saved, a Christian who has built upon the foundation of Jesus, as Paul says in verse 11 there, in 1 Corinthians 3, as well as uh, being saved, as he explicitly states in verse 15. Absolutely. I want to remind our listeners that this is a live program, and we're talking with Carlo Broussard, uh, discussing his book, 
Purgatory is for Real, and we would welcome a question or a comment, and you can do that by calling 855-683-7332, Please call and join in the discussion with Carlo. Um, do you want to continue with the biblical references? Oh uh, yes, I yeah. mean, if you're interested in going that route, we could uh, articulate a few more references. Sure. So, you know, a while ago, Judy, you mentioned praying for the dead, and we find that the Catechism references this, and that passage that's referenced in the Catechism, I think it's paragraph ten thirty one, is Second Maccabees chapter twelve, verses thirty eight through forty five. Now, this is a book that's in the Catholic Bible, not in our Protestant Brothers and Sisters Bible, and that's unfortunate. They don't recognize it to be inspired. Mm -hmm. We can appeal to it as a part of the canon of Scripture and as the inspired Word of God. This is why I include it in my Bible section. Nevertheless, in our conversation with our Protestant friends, we can appeal to it as a historical document and a window into the Jewish belief system about a century before the time of Christ, and, you know, trickling over into the time of Christ as well, to establish a historical backdrop in, against which we can come to understand certain teachings about Jesus. So in Second Maccabees 12, what we discover is that Judas Maccabeus and his soldiers pray for their fallen comrades in order that they may be remitted of their sins, delivered from their sins. And they actually take up a collection to make an offering for sin. Mm -hmm. so they offer sacrifice at the temple for their fallen comrades that, in order to atone for the sins of their fallen comrades. And so this is sort of the historical backdrop against which Jesus comes in Matthew twelve thirty two and gives us a teaching about the sin against the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says... The sin against the Holy Spirit, or blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, will not be forgiven in this age, nor in the age to come. Now, in Jesus' ministry, when he speaks of the age to come, he refers to the afterlife. He, talks, he uses it in reference to the afterlife. And so if Jesus is referring to the afterlife, he's saying that the sin against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven in this age, nor in the afterlife, in this life nor in the afterlife. The implication being that there are some sins that can be forgiven in this life and in the afterlife. Now, what's interesting is that Matthew is the only one who adds this extra tidbit of Jesus' teaching about this sin not being forgiven in the afterlife. And the reason why he does that is because he's writing to a Jewish audience who would naturally be thinking and asking the question, well, if this sin can't be forgiven in this life, what about the afterlife? And the reason why they would ask that question is because they believe that sins could be forgiven in the afterlife. Mm -hmm. And this is why Matthew adds that extra tidbit, to preempt their question and to answer that question and say, no, this sin will not be forgiven even in the afterlife unlike other sins that can be forgiven in the afterlife. Now, here's the implication, Judy. If sins can be forgiven in the afterlife, well then, that can't be heaven, that can't be hell. What is it? 
it's purgatory. And that's an essential aspect of the Catholic doctrine of purgatory, that if there is any remaining guilt of venial sin at death, that guilt of sin must be remitted and forgiven. And so that's at least one aspect of purgatory, and we find that there in Matthew 12, 32. Yeah, uh, this little section began with a reference to Maccabees, and uh, can you just restate that one more time? Because if you're discussing it with a Protestant and Maccabees isn't in their Bible, uh, I just need to hear that one more time, if you don't mind. Yes. So as Catholics, we can appeal to 2 Maccabees 12, 38 through 45 as the inspired Word of God. And from a Catholic perspective, recognizing that as the inspired Word of God, we see the Bible affirming and praising the practice of praying for the dead, and the implied belief being that sins can be remitted in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. That's why they're praying for them, that, they're, that they can be delivered from their sins. And the Bible praises that activity, which implies the reality of purgatory. Okay? Now, for our Protestants, for our Protestant friends, they will not recognize this as inspired. Nevertheless, we can appeal to it as a historical document which gives us a window into the Jewish beliefs about a century before the time of Christ, which would carry over to the time of Christ. And that provides a historical backdrop against which we can read the teachings of Jesus, for example, in Matthew 12, 32, where he gives us a teaching that implies that sins can be forgiven in the afterlife. And that coheres with and jibes very nicely with the Jewish historical context of their belief concerning sins being forgiven in the afterlife. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, you have all this information, and if the conversation is there and they're like, well, <laughs> that's not in our Bible and the reasons behind it. Yeah, and uh, Thaddeus, you had something to... Yeah, Carl, I was curious, could, uh, could you make this appeal to Protestants about Maccabees? Could you say... Well, you have the letter of Jude in your Bible, and you recognize that as inspired Scripture. And the letter of Jude appeals to the assumption of Moses and the book of Enoch, both of which are not in the canon of Scripture, but they are considered you know, historical, um, valuable books by, by the Jews, and, and, and therefore by you, because you accept what's in the letter of Jude, so therefore, sort of by the same um, implication, the book of Maccabees is worthwhile as well. Yes, I I like that line of reasoning, Thaddeus. That's very insightful. And And the principle or the idea being just because it's not inspired doesn't mean it's of no value for us as Christians. Right. So it's going to definitely be valuable for us as Christians because it has such close proximity to the time of Christ, which is creating a Jewish theological context in which Jesus, in which Jesus and the apostles were teaching. And so with that historical context in mind, historical and theological context in mind, and you come to a teaching like from Jesus when he's talking about sins being forgiven in the afterlife, when he does not deny it, right? Jesus rather than denying the idea that sins can be forgiven in the afterlife, 
which would have been prevalent at the time of Christ, he's actually affirming it, right? And so 2 Maccabees 12, from a historical perspective, creates a, a nice theological context in which Jesus gives us the teaching in Matthew 12, 32, implying that sins can be forgiven in the afterlife. This is something that his Jewish audience would have understood, and rather than Jesus clarifying or correct, correcting such a view of the afterlife, Jesus is actually running right along with it, right, and affirming it. And right. so that's the value of Second Maccabees 12, even though it's not considered to be inspired by our Protestant friends. Mm-hmm. And it would have fallen on ears that didn't rarely—it was passed on by oral tradition— to most of the Jews, they didn't have anything to read, most of them. Um, so, but And this is good news, and that's uh, this is a little opportunity to segue into some of your uh, joyful truths that uh, you elaborate yes. on in your book, um, that this is good news, not bad news. <laughs> that's right, yes, Judy. Uh, that's, as the subtitle of the book suggests, it's good news about the afterlife for those who aren't perfect yet. So what I do in the book is I articulate three joyful truths that constitute the good news about purgatory. So one joyful truth is that it provides consolation for believers, and we can talk about that and how it does that. A second joyful truth is that purgatory is actually bound up with joys that go beyond the joys of this life. In other words, there are certain joys had by the souls in purgatory that one cannot have in this life. And then also, too, purgatory inspires the pursuit of holiness. So those are the three joyful truths. And if you're interested in, you know, in moving forward and talking about each of those joyful truths... Sure. What, what for um, from my reasoning... Um one aspect that becomes uh we're aware it's it's like this holy sorrow we're aware mm. uh in a new way of how hurtful some of our past is and you know when when you love someone the more you love someone the more sorry you are for hurting them mm-hmm. and if we mm-hmm. can grow in our love for Jesus and uh it, we wouldn't want to move into the beatific vision until we are perfect and it becomes this holy sorrow yet leaning in on these joy-filled opportunities, especially just the word consolation just is so soothing to hear that mm-hmm. consolation for believers. Yeah, well, one way in which it consoles believers is it consoles us who struggle with sin. I mean, we all recognize how weak we are, right, and how often we fall short of the Christian standard of living, the Christian standard of perfection, right? Mm. And so consider a scenario where there is no purgatory, where God does not will to remove any remaining impediments to the beatific vision subsequent to death. Well, in that case, Judy, I don't know about you, but... (laughs) I heaven. would forever be excluded from heaven. Because well, our, our heaven wouldn't be so great. It'd be like just being yeah. here. We already have this imperfect life here. <laughs> That's right. I Because I recognize my own weaknesses and how often I sin and how it's very unlikely that I would be able to die with the perfection necessary 
to enter into heaven. Mm -hmm. And so given that reality, if there were no purgatory, well, then it's very likely I would forever be separated from God and never enter heaven in the afterlife. So thank God for purgatory, given the fact that I am so weak and others like myself are so weak, and, and, and given the fact that it's unlikely we're going to be able to die with that absolute perfection needed for heaven. And so this is how purgatory can provide consolation for us believers who struggle with sin. It also, Judy, provides believers with consolation considering our loved ones, because we know our loved ones, it's very unlikely that they would die with the absolute perfection needed to enter into heaven. And so given the doctrine and the reality of purgatory— we're able to be consoled when our loved ones die, knowing that, yes, they love Jesus. They weren't totally perfect, but given the state of purgatory, I know they'll eventually attain union with Jesus after being finally purified. And so that provides us consolation, knowing that our loved ones won't be forever separated from Jesus in the afterlife due to their lack of perfection. And so that's another way in which purgatory provides consolation for believers. Uh, so those are just a few ideas concerning that joyful truth. Yeah, I find um, also, <clears throat> I think right after that in your book, it talks about um, purgatory will help us uh, understand real justice. Uh, yes, yes. You know, we have this idea of uh, what we think justice could be. And I mean, that's only human nature to you know, if some horrific wrong is occurred that you uh, desire justice, but how often do we That's apply that thing. Correct. in our own lives? You know, do we do we want yeah. justice for the thing, things that we have done wrong? It's easy to point a finger at someone else, I think. Right, right, right. Well, there's two aspects here. So the first of which is purgatory assures believers that justice will be served relative to others, and then we could talk about justice for ourselves and our understanding of that justice, and that gets us to that second joyful truth of the joys bound up with purgatory. So let's consider this. Consider this, Judy. Imagine a scenario where you have a serial killer and a rapist, right, who's killed and raped hundreds of women throughout his life, mm -hmm. and he repents on his deathbed. Now, as a Christian, we, we're going to rejoice in the fact that such an evil individual repented by the grace of God, and that God in his mercy gave him that grace of repentance for him to repent and be saved. Mm -hmm. We're going to rejoice in that. Nevertheless, we're also going to intuit within ourselves, we're going to sort of feel and experience, well, wait a minute, this individual took such pleasure in such extreme evils throughout the entirety of his life, there is some pain due to him, right? Like, there is some suffering that's due to this individual because he took too much pleasure where he sh ought not to have taken pleasure. Mm -hmm. And so there's a desire for justice to be served here. There's a suffering due to him. And apparently that suffering has not been imposed upon him in order to satisfy justice. Well, this is where the doctrine of purgatory comes into play, where... That suffering that is due to that criminal, that individual who repented on his deathbed and is guaranteed salvation, justice will be served. And purgatory is a means by which that justice will be served, on condition 
that the individual, when he repented, didn't have the extreme sorrow that he needed to have in order to suffice for that justice to be served. Because it's possible, Judy, we recognize as Christians that the, the evil serial killer and rapist who repented on his deathbed could have had such an intense degree of sorrow that such sorrow and such suffering was sufficient in order to make up for his past wrongs and to satisfy justice. That's possible. But if it was not the case, well, that's where the doctrine of purgatory comes into play. And the suffering that he would endure in his final purification would make amends for that past wrongdoing. Now, you mentioned, you brought up an interesting point, Judy. You're talking about pointing the finger at other people, right? (laughs) Well, what about justice for ourselves? Right. And that's a great insight. Now, here's, here's, I, I address this. Now we move to the second joyful truth, and that is the joys that are bound up with purgatory go beyond the joys of this life. And here's one of the sources of joy, Judy. The soul in purgatory will not only rejoice in God's mercy, so the awareness of God's mercy and giving the grace for me to repent before death, I will rejoice in that mercy, and even God's mercy in giving us the final purification and not excluding us for the rest of our existence just because we're not perfect yet, but giving us the grace of of purification in order to be perfect. So we're going to rejoice in that. That's a joy that goes beyond this world. But also, Judy, a source of the soul's and purgatory's joy is the keen awareness of God's justice the keen awareness of God's perfect wisdom in in willing that the soul undergo some form of suffering in order to make up for the past forgiven sins. Mm. And what we can say in theology is to discharge that debt of temporal punishment. So the soul is going to have a keen awareness of God's perfect wisdom in this, in satisfying this justice, and any soul that's in, in any any soul that is in love with God, as the souls in purgatory are, they're going to want God's justice to be satisfied. They're going to want God's divine wisdom to be manifest, because that gives God glory, and so that too will be a source of the soul's joy. So not only God's mercy. But God's justice will be a source of the soul's joy in purgatory, a joy that we cannot experience on this side of the veil in this life because we don't have the keen awareness that the souls in purgatory will have because we have not been particularly judged yet. Right. The souls in purgatory, they will have their judgment. Right. We can talk about it in this conversation and we can read about it and try to understand it. But until we are in that state, we can't, you know, intellectually, we can try to embrace it. But I don't think we can truly, you know, really understand it until that point, I think, for me. Well, sure, because we don't have any experiential knowledge of that on this side of the veil. That experiential knowledge will be had on the other side of the veil. I mean, we could uh, try to draw analogies. I mean, you could consider somebody in a courtroom, a, a woman who's been pursued by a rapist, mm-hmm. and that rapist is judged and sentenced, right? 
And that woman, she's going to rejoice in justice being served, right? Yeah. So that's a faint analogy on this side of the veil. But consider this, Judy, one of the greatest joys of purgatory, which contextualizes everything in purgatory and all of the suffering in purgatory that is present, the greatest joy is the soul's absolute certainty that heaven is his. That have, that, because as the Catechism says in paragraph 1030, the souls in purgatory are assured mm-hmm. of their eternal salvation. That is something we cannot have in this life. We can only have a confident expectation, but not an absolute assurance. But for the souls in purgatory, they're absolutely certain that heaven is theirs. And that is a tremendous source of joy that we cannot fathom on this side of the veil. The, the Catholic mystics and Catherine of Genoa said, there's no happiness that compares with the souls in purgatory except that of the saints in paradise. So that's something to ponder there. Yes. Um, I wanted to just tell you that we have about five minutes left, and I don't want to breeze past something uh, that you may particularly want to talk about. Two points in that little area of your book um, is that purgatory reminds believers that their relationship with their loved ones continue after death, even though they've not fully gained the beatific vision, that that's a con- consolation to us here in the church militant, that that is our connection that remains with our loved ones at that point in time. And also knowing that they cannot pray for themselves, but they certainly do intercede for us during their time right. in purgatory. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, if one comes to the discovery of purgatory and they say, oh, my loved one's in purgatory, they're not in heaven yet, so therefore I can't have a relationship with them because they're not in heaven yet, assuming that they have to be in heaven in order to have a relationship with them, right? Mm-hmm. Well, according to Catholic teaching, we can still have a relationship with them because we're connected by charity. We're connected by grace. They are members of the mystical body of Christ. And so that can provide an individual consolation, a believer in this life consolation, in knowing that even though they don't have the beats of the vision yet, even though they're not in heaven, we can still have this bond of charity and have the relationship. And one of the ways in which we can live out that relationship, Judy, is to pray for our loved ones, to pray for the souls in purgatory, which, as you mentioned at the outset of our conversation, you do uh, with other spiritual sisters in a prayer group where you'll yes. pray for the holy souls, and that's a beautiful thing, to where we can establish and exercise or live out that relationship, pray for the holy souls, which is an act of charity. And in as much as we're praying for the holy souls, we're growing in charity, we're providing them consolation in this postmortem purification. And you know what the Catechism says in paragraph 958? Our prayers for them makes their prayers for us more effective. And so the Catechism, one, affirms that the souls in purgatory can pray for us, but two, that as we're praying for them and bringing and and helping remove those impediments for them, impediments to heaven, it's going to make their prayers for us more effective. So the holier they they are, the holier they become, which is assisted by our prayers, the more effective their prayers for us can be 
And that's a beautiful insight, and that provides consolation for believers in this life. Oh, my goodness. Uh, That is, I mean, I'm not saying I'm an expert by any means, but that's never been uh, pointed out to me before. Um, As we're coming to the end of our uh, interview, Carlo, uh, tell our listeners um, how to get in touch with you, different ways that they can... um, not only get the book and learn more about the book, uh, some of the other things that you do. You mentioned uh, before we were on the air that you're given a mission coming up in Louisiana. And uh, so how can our listeners find out more about where you are and what you're doing? Are you there? Well, Carlo, we lost you. Oh, Judy. We might have to just just stuck run with this you out. and me, friend. It's the last um, minute of the show. Really want to thank Carlo. Uh, hope that y'all enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Um, Boy, that was just <laughs> packed with information and goodness. Yeah, the book is really great. Um, yeah, give them the title again and where they can buy it. People say, here, you ought to read this book, and I want to fall on the floor and ride around like, I don't have time to read anything else. But I did take some time to... Carlo Broussard, Purgatory is for Real. 